Welcome to everybody tonight. If you are a guest with us tonight, we welcome you. We're happy to have you in this service. If you're joining us online tonight, we welcome you as a part of this service. And Bishop is ministering in Ohio today, but we give honor to him and Mother Wright. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. If you would turn to Joshua chapter number 4, verse number 19, I have sort of realized something in the last day or two as I've been preparing and feeling direction for tonight, and and, and I hope it'll go beyond tonight, <laughs> but I have realized that I have allowed some circumstances and situations and various things to intimidate me when it comes to my preaching. Now, I, I, in my opinion, I've been bolder in the past than I've been in some areas in the present. And so I, I hope by the grace of God to, to change that, but I am by the grace of God, at least tonight, I've, I've come to just preach. And, uh, you know, I, part of, I think, what has intimidated me, and I'm sure I'm the only preacher here that struggles with this, is... All of this intellectual emphasis that is getting in the church today, in the religious world, and intellect is becoming a huge... And, and if you can't give a, 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 a thesis, if you can't write a doctoral thesis on it, then, then you better not preach it. And uh, there, there have been some things I know for me, I've stopped declaring and proclaiming because I, you know, I... I, I, I can't give all the, the every dot, every I and cross every T. And, and uh, I, what I've also concluded is it's usually not the hungry and sincere that you have to do that for. Usually, usually those that want the doctoral thesis are those that are looking for an out. And so that they're wanting to argue with you and debate with you and, and find out if, you know, you can prove every point with some whatever. And, and so I, I, I was called to preach. See, that's another thing. And to be honest with, I've been intimidated lately, but I, I, I was called to preach. I've allowed some things to make me feel a little bit bad for that. But I, I was called to preach. I do other stuff. There's other stuff I'm supposed to do, but I, I was called to preach. <laughs> you take that away from me, you take away part of who I am. And I've allowed the enemy, I think, to steal some. So I, I'm probably the only preacher in here that any of this applies to, so I'll just make the statement for myself. And Joshua chapter 4, verse number 19. The people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal. I want you to notice that, Gilgal. I want you to notice that place. This is where they came out of, out of Jordan. This is where they essentially first came to at Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. And, so they, and those twelve stones which they took out of, out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. So it's at Gilgal where those stones that he said, I, when you come through the Jordan, I want each of you to get a stone because when we get on the other side, I want us to create a memorial. And he's going to tell us why here in a moment. And he spake unto the children of Israel saying, when your children shall ask their fathers in time to come saying, what mean these stones? 
Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. You see that water right there? We came through that water. We didn't swim. We didn't take boats. We didn't take rafts. We, we walked through there on dry ground. And these stones marked the spot. Actually, they set up stones on the other side of Jordan when they came out, but they also put 12 stones in the middle where they walked through. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which He dried up from before us until we were gone over. Notice He's telling the children a couple of generations removed, or or with the case of these stones and the Jordan, a generation removed, but with the case of the Red Sea, two generations at least removed. He says, these are a reminder of what your God did. Part of the reason why we lose young people that grow up in the church is because mom and dad's God never becomes the kid's God. I know what my last name is. I know who my parents are as well as most of you. But I am not here at 43 years old because of my parents' God. And I've got a grandmother sitting back there and all uh, three of my other grandparents and two great-grandparents that they knew the same God I knew. But I'm not here today because of the God my great-grandparents knew. Their God became my God. The Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea which He dried up from before us until we were gone over that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord that it is mighty that you might fear the Lord your God forever. I want these to be there so that somebody will ask questions and when they ask questions, you can tell them. And it's not to tell them just simply for a historical account of what has happened in the past, but it's intended to be something to build faith that that's what God did for us. And if God did that for us, God can do for you whatever it is you need to get deliverance in your situation. So I want to preach to you tonight on this subject, when the holy becomes hollow. When the holy becomes hollow. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for the privilege of being here tonight. Thank you for the privilege of once again having the opportunity to lift up and exalt the name that is above every other name. You are so worthy. We can never praise or worship you enough. You are worthy of all that we can give. So we honor you tonight. God, I pray tonight that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. That we would hear from you. There's a lot of great things you're doing, God. There's a lot of great things that are happening, but there's also things that we have to make sure stay the way they need to be and some things that from time to time we got to renew and we got to refresh. So I pray that your spirit, your word would minister to us tonight that we would hear from you. And I ask you, I pray again tonight, God, that this would not simply be a sermon to take up time in this service, but you would allow me to be a messenger to deliver a word from you. In the name of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. They come through the Jordan and they come to Gilgal. And as we have just read, it is at Gilgal where they established this memorial and that is to be the place 
That is the, where, where the reminder is marked. It's the place that they first begin, if you will, I think, to celebrate what God has just done. It's, it's basically that first place, that first stop, as they have now entered into the promised land. And so they've got these memorials that they have built and, 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 and created, and God wants them there. God wants them there for the purpose of being able to rehearse to their children the stories. I, I wonder how many of you that have been around here a while, I, I wonder how well your children know the stories of where God brought you from and what God brought you through. I am concerned sometimes I hear people tell their testimony of what they used to do and what God saved them from, and it almost sometimes seems to me like there is, there's a hint of them missing that old life, that old way, what they used to do. And, and that's not the way it should be, but the bottom line is we, we need to know where God brought us from. These precious young people need to understand that, that, that it wouldn't have taken much that, that not only would they have not have been here, but some of them would have never even been born. They wouldn't have even never known what life was had it not been for the fact somewhere along the way God reached down and He found you where you were and He saved you and He brought you out of darkness into His marvelous light. As I was driving home from men's conference yesterday, song came on the radio, Mother Wright sings it. I almost asked her to sing it tonight, but I didn't know that it exactly necessarily fit would be more than a, just a request, but the, the song says that sometimes the clouds hang low and I'd like to see them go. I asked God the question, why is there so much pain? And it goes on and then the chorus simply says, I won't complain. I'm not going to complain because all of the good things outweigh the bad things so I won't complain I, I'm, I'm preaching to some folks tonight that you've gotten a little too focused on the bad things and the negative things and the things that haven't gone quite the way you had dreamed or hoped for that you need to take a step back and realize all of the good things still outweigh the bad things and so in spite of every bit of difficulty and every adversity God is good. God is good. And so they've come through the Jordan. They've now entered. This is, this is the fulfillment of what's been promised for generation upon generation. They are now in the land of promise and they're now rehearsing in the stories even now, and it's intended to be the future as well, but even now they're rehearsing some of the stories of what God did to bring them to this point. And we go to the next chapter, number five, verse number four, and my reading, if my reading and study is correct, we are still at Gilgal. We are still in the same place. And the Bible says in verse number four, and this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise 
All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness by the, by the way after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness by the way as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. Unto whom the Lord swear that He would not show them the land which the Lord swear unto their fathers that He would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey. And then skipping down to verse number 9, And the Lord said unto Joshua this day, as a result of you now circumcising all of those men, all of the males that were born in the wilderness, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off of you. Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. Let me just throw it out there. This is an awkward subject to preach about. Oh, well. I'm trying to do what I said I would do at the beginning and not try to be pressured to be all theologically whatever. This isn't ultimately where I'm going, but I just feel to make the point. There's a danger in, in, in a generation that wasn't say that in, in the generation that comes after the generation that came out of Egypt. Losing the same... Commitment, dedication, separation as the first generation. And so part of what was established here was, I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of the world. I brought you through the wilderness and now into the land of promise. But there's some things I'm still expecting of you. In fact, when you read about the giving of the law that God gave the children of Israel, and, 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 and there's not just ten commandments, there's hundreds of commandments that God gave them. God gave them those laws, not for the wilderness. He gave them those laws so that when they got into the promised land, they would know how to live. Is it any wonder the enemy tries to get in the church today and say, when you're saved, when you're in the church, when, you, when you've been born again, you don't need the law, you don't need to live under any law, you're now free. When in fact there's some laws that govern how we live in the land of promise. So again in verse 9, and that's actually... One of the definitions you will find of what the name Gilgal means. It means rolling. It means rolled away. And so he says, it's now, now that you have obeyed my commandments. Now that you have reconsecrated and rededicated yourself. I am now rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So I brought you out of Egypt and I've 
brought you through the wilderness and I brought you into the land of promise and it's now time for you to take over this land and you're going to have to go in and possess it but I'm telling you it's already yours. You're going to have to fight some battles. It's it's not all going to be easy but I'm telling you in advance I'm going to give it to you. You're going to be victorious. And so at Gilgal we find it's the place they come in to the promised land. It's the place now of dedication and consecration. I I wish I could take some of you. I wish a few of you would go back tonight. I know some of us are blessed with better memories than others. The ability to remember things better than others do. But I wonder if some of you would go back tonight as best you could, especially some of you that have been around a little while, go back to some of those feelings you had when you first entered the promised land. Go back to some of that that pure childlike excitement that you had. See there there's some of you there's some of you 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 can't quite say what the psalmist said anymore. Because the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm struggling right now with quali- I'm struggling with qualifying to you that I understand that when the psalmist said that, he wasn't exactly talking about church. But what I also believe is, in the con- in a con- in a certain context, he was talking about what we understand to be church. I know this building is not the house of the Lord, and I understand the church is the people. Now that I've got that out there, I'm trying, I'm striving. Some of you used to be glad. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You were excited about the opportunity. You were excited because of what God was doing for you, what God had just done, what he had just brought you out of. There was there was a holiness if you will. It was it was a holy thing. It wasn't something that you put on your schedule and then decided if it was going to work in or not. It it wasn't something that was up for debate, but there was something inside of you that there was no question and no doubt. I'm going to be at the house of the Lord. If the doors are open, if something's going on, I'm going to be there. There's something inside of me that drives me, if you will. That's what happens when it's holy. That's what happens when we're initially at the experience of what's taking place at Gilgal and there's that dedication and that consecration and, 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 and seems like in that initial part, in those initial stages, it's really not about what you can come and get. It's not about what God's gonna do for you, but some, I, 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 I don't I don't believe you have to sit on the front row to go to heaven. I don't believe that. I ought to get at least an amen from the back on that one. I don't believe you got to do that. But you know what? Oh, boy. Now I know why I've stopped preaching some of the way I used to preach. I, oh. 
I've never noticed. <laughs> I love all of y'all from the front to the back. But I've never noticed anybody become a more intense worshiper the farther back they move. I've never watched anybody, the farther back they went, the more connected they were. In fact, almost without fail, the farther back you go, the less connected you are. You see, part of the reason is, here, there's a lot less to distract me. And here... There's a lot less to worry about who is and who isn't. So it's a lot easier to come up here and be up here and just forget what you're doing or you're not doing. It's a lot easier to be a participant here. The more I go back, the easier it is to be a spectator because there's a whole lot more there is to watch. Oh, Lord. Sad to see folks that used to never think of sitting anywhere but the first or second row now fight over a back row seat. I mean that figuratively. Because what was holy is now starting to become empty. What was sacred and what was valuable and what meant so much is, is now starting to lose its it's, it's awe and it's horror. It's becoming common. It's becoming normal. It's, it's becoming tried. It's becoming just another thing on the schedule of our lives. I gotta tell you, I don't think when they first got into Gilgal, there was any drudgery. There was any boredom. I think when they first got into Gilgal, there was an excitement. <laughs> we made it through the wilderness. Not only did we come out of Egypt, but we made it through the wilderness and we are now in the land. So some pretty amazing, important, positive things. At least two things that I've read to you, two occasions of things that happened at Gilgal that were very positive, very significant, very important. But unfortunately, that's not all that ever happened at Gilgal. If you go to 1 Samuel chapter number 15 and verse number 10, Scripture says, Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. For he is turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place, and is gone about and passed on, and is now gone down to Gilgal. He was here, but he's now gone to Gilgal. He's now gone to the place where those twelve stones are set up and represent 
the deliverance, the memorial that God brought us out of Egypt, through the wilderness, into the land of promise. He's now gone to the same place where this reconsecration and this rededication took place. As all of the males that had been born in the wilderness were circumcised. He's, he's now gone back to this place. What, what at once had sacred, positive, spiritual events take place there. Verse 11, it repenteth me that I have set up Saul. I'm sorry, I've got it copied twice. Verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be the Lord, be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. What was the commandment he had performed, or he said he would perform? It was that he was supposed to go kill the Amalekites, kill everything and everybody, young, old, animal, all of it. Don't let anything live, nothing, kill it all. And so now he says, blessed be the, thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I've done what God told me to do through you. What he's saying is, I obeyed what I was told to do. I went and I killed them, I destroyed them, I'm done. And Samuel says, What meaneth? Then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear. If in fact you did what the Lord commanded you to do, why is it that I hear these sheep and these oxen? If you supposedly obeyed the commandments of the Lord, why is there some things that were not done that were supposed to have been done? And yet you're now saying, I did what the Lord commanded. Here's where the holy can become hollow. Because Saul says, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen. But here's why we did it. I didn't obey the commandment. I didn't do exactly what I was told. But I've got a spiritual justification for why I didn't do it. But, but before you get too upset, Samuel, before you want to, you know, before you want to get too angry with me, hear me out why I disobeyed. Hear my justification why I chose to alter what God said. And what's really dangerous is we spared them to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we've utterly destroyed. 
You see, what's really dangerous is when we start justifying spiritual disobedience with spiritual justification. Oh, Lord. We start making excuses for why we have altered what the word of the Lord was. But we have a spiritual justification for it. You know, brother, oh, Lord. The client then said something, I think it was Friday night. Not, I know within within one context, I know I know this is wrong. I'm, in one context, this and I don't mean wrong against what he said, because I, I, I'm about to agree with what he said. In one context, you can you miss way misuse this, way misuse this. So I, I realize that's the the risk. <laughs> That either you now or somebody else in the future only hears one statement. The point he said made, basically what he said was, is he was talking about how, why is it that we're always, our, our question, what, what, tell me what I have to do. Tell me what I have to do. Tell me the things I have to do. And then when you tell me the things that I have to do, give me a, 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 an in-depth study of all of your scriptural reasonings why I have to do it. You know, oh man. Oh Lord. I like that other way I've been preaching better. <laughs> how many of you, how many of you, how many of you ever gone to the doctor? Tell you like I told him yesterday at men's conference, this is not a trick question. This is... <laughs> Bishop got them Friday morning. They walked right into one. This is not a trick question. How many of you, one more time, you've been to the doctor. How many of you has the doctor ever prescribed you medicine for something? Most of you. How, how many of you, upon his describing of the medicine, giving you the prescription, how many of you then sat there and for some significant period of time, grilled him on all the reasons why you should take this medicine and all the evidence why it's good for you. And all that. How many of you? I know a couple of you have, probably. There's a couple of, couple of you, yes. Probably the one well, I just saw a hand, and it's a medical person, so... Probably the medical folk. The rest of us laymen. Okay. If you say that, what I, that's what I need. You're the doctor. I'm the patient. You said it's what's going to help. Arnold, pharmacy. Go. That's where I'm going right now. I'm the patient. You're the doctor. Oh, Lord. Don't do it. Don't do it. Whatever you say. And yet, when it comes to our soul, 
Now, I, hear, I see the prescription you're giving me, Pastor. I know what you just prescribed me, but tell me why. Prove to me why. Give me all the research why. Give me all the evidence why. You, you know what? It, it's, it's, I don't mean this unkind and, and whatever, and some of you are probably taking some of it, and I'm definitely not trying to be unkind. But I, I almost crack up every time I see a commercial for medicine on TV. I've never timed it, but I think usually, uh, literally about half the commercial is as much the possible negative side effects as it is about what the medicine might do positive. If you're suffering with this, take this. People have been known to feel better after this, but side effects might be suicide and depression and bleeding out of the ears and all this stuff, but... Like, well, I gotta be honest, I'm so thankful I don't need that. Cause there's just as much risk of apparently what it'll do wrong than what it'll do right. And yet there's some of you right now that are probably taking some of that. And yet a man or a woman of God tries to present you the words of eternal life. And you just want to know all the ins and outs and every little detail. And you want to know all the explanations. And you want to know exactly what I have to do and prove it. Rather than saying, if it's from the word of God, I don't need every eye, every T dotted. If it's going to help me, I want it. And I can hear it right now. Well, no, you know how many cults have happened because of that? You know how many people have fallen into false doctrine because of that? Yes, I do. But don't lump every man and woman of God into the category of a cult leader just because there are some. I've got to tell you, men, women of God, preachers, Specifically to the preachers right now, something's got to rise up inside of us because there is a spirit in this world that's trying to intimidate the pulpit and shut down the pulpit and squeeze out whatever the Word of God wants to say. And we're, we're hesitant about everything because what people are going to think are going to say. And so the enemy's winning the battle because somebody won't just declare boldly, this is what the Word says. I said it already. I'll say it again. I realize there's some degree of danger in what I'm saying if you misuse it. It's kind of sad. Oh, Lord. It's kind of sad when those you consider to be the core people don't trust the ministry. kind of sad when people have been around for years and still don't have enough confidence in the people leading them that they, you, you, you got to have you got to have every i dot and every t cross so we're not careful we start doing like Saul did I'm going to worship but I'm going to you know I'm going to modify it a little bit I'm going to adjust it a little bit it's still going to be worship, but it's going to be worship on my terms. Oh, I'm going to do the things I'm supposed to do, but, you know, I'm just going to modify. I'm just going to adjust a little bit. I mean, that's kind of narrow-minded, don't you think? Those are some unreasonable expectations, don't you think? 
so we, we find, as Saul did, spiritual justifications. And so now a place that at times had had some very wonderful, positive, spiritual things happen is now the same place. It's now the same place where judgment is being meted out. Somewhere along the way, Saul lost sight of the fact, I'm not here because of me. I didn't get anointed to be king because of my resume, because of my bloodline, because of my intellect, because of my giftings and abilities. I'm I'm simply here because God, by His grace, chose me. It wasn't for the grace and the picking of God, I'd still be out there doing whatever it was, chasing some animals down. But God reached down and found me where I was and gave me the privilege and the opportunity to be anointed to be king. And now, somewhere along the way, He's taken ownership. we got to be careful that we never take ownership of what God has given by grace and now somehow think, I've got the right to manage it and use it in the way I want to use it. Hebrews 9 and 1. Then verily, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded in the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we can now not speak of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. It was a common, regular thing to go into that first tabernacle. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. One time of year, one man by himself was able to go where the Shekinah glory, the presence of God was manifested. One man, one time a year. What you and I now have free access to and have the ability to enjoy on any day of the week we want to, one person had access. One. And from my elementary understanding of the topic, it wasn't necessarily this wonderful, joyous experience. Because there was some serious potential negative outcomes from you going into that holiest of holies. There was a chance you weren't coming back out alive. There was a chance you walked in and you didn't walk out. There was a possibility this wasn't going to be some experience to go shout and dance about. There was a chance God might not be pleased. And if God wasn't pleased, you weren't coming out the way you went in. 
But there was that opportunity for that encounter with the presence of God, but one man, one time a year. And then Calvary comes along. The cross and the death and what was accomplished there. And the Bible says that the veil, the veil of the temple was torn. It was ripped in two. And now, and now, everybody, every individual had access to the mercy seat. Every individual had access. You, you didn't have to be the priest. You didn't have to be born in a certain family. And you didn't have to have all these prerequisites. But now everybody had access to the mercy seat and the presence of God. There were no more obstacles. There were no more hindrances. It was now made possible to get there. Here's the problem. While Calvary removed the obstacle. It wasn't intended to override the process. While Calvary removed the hindrance and the obstacle to the holiest of holies where the presence of God was, it did not disregard the process that had been established to get there. And part of that process that was established was when you entered into what was the tabernacle, there was two things you came across first. You came by the brazen altar, and then you came by the laver of water. There was repentance and there was washing that took place every single time you came into the tabernacle. I'm not going to give my, my disclaimer again. I'm just going to keep preaching for now. If you got questions, ask me afterwards. We have reached the point where we come and go from church time after time after time, and we never stop at the brazen altar, and we never stop at the labor of water. There is no repentance, and there is no washing, and the problem is we now have access to the presence, and so we bypass the process that was in intended for us to still go through to get to the presence. And so people come service after service after service after service and leave the exact same way they have come in because I can come in and experience the presence of God and the manifestation of God and all of the great things that go along with it without stopping at an altar of repentance and having to pour some things out and then stopping for some washing and so I come and go and the holy the holy starts to become hollow because I start to go through a routine and I start to go through the motions and I come and I go the same I can get to the presence and I can feel the emotion and I can feel the atmosphere and I can walk in and I don't have to do my part because somebody else is going to get us there and somebody else is going to get it moving and then like when the water was troubled, I'll just get in the water and experience a little bit. I'll get a little bit of something. Get what I want. Ezekiel chapter 46, and one more time, 
doing it without doing it. I'm not going to give a big disclaimer on this one either. Ezekiel chapter 46 and verse number 8. And when the prince shall enter, he shall go in by the way of the porch of that gate, and he shall go forth by the way thereof. But when the people of the land shall come before the Lord in the solemn feasts, he that entereth in by the way of the north gate to worship shall go out by the way of the south gate. And he that entereth by the way of the south gate shall go forth by the way of the north gate. He shall not return by the way of the gate whereby he came in, but shall go forth over against it. And so I believe without all of the theological dissertation, I believe there is a principle that applies to us when we come together as people of God and gather together for worship and church and other like settings that there is a principle that we should not leave the same way we came. The verse I read says it in more of a literal sense. You come in one gate and you literally go out another gate. You come in one entrance and you literally go out another entrance. But the point being is, come in one way. And whatever you got to do, make sure you don't leave the same way that you came in. Let Make sure that somehow, some way, while you're there, something happens. And when you leave, you are not going out the same that you came. I, I don't want to... I'm not trying to be in... If in my heart of hearts I am, God, God help me, God judge me, God fix me. I don't, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say what I'm about to say in, 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 in an effort to be defensive. And I'm, I'm going to try to speak for the rest of these folks that are responsible for leading services and all, and, and, and whether it's here or other situations. Don't blame me. If you come, and leave the same. Don't blame me if you come and leave and don't get what you need. Don't blame the person that leads the worship if you come and never get in the presence of God. Don't blame the preacher if you come and he doesn't just happen to tickle your ears today the way you wanted him to get tickled. Because the same service, the same service, you're leaving saying, I got nothing. Boy, that was a dead one. Pastor missed it tonight. Congregation leader missed it this morning. Worship leader never got it going today. The same service that you do that. Somebody else is walking away going, God, thank you. I needed that. You, you, you touched me today, God. You helped me today. You blessed me today. You changed me today. You gave me the word I needed. May not have been what I wanted, but it was what I needed in the same service. 12 years, an issue of blood. 12 years, nobody else can help her. And there's a crowd that's gathered around Jesus. But one person says, I don't care what anybody else does today. I will 
touch the hem of his garment. And if I can touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. I, I am certain, I am certain that she was not the only person in the crowd that day with an issue. I am certain she was not the only person there that day that was sick. There's no way she was the only person there that day that had a need. But we don't know about anybody else getting what they needed. More than likely, there were some other sick folks that came sick and went home sick. There were some, probably some other people that came with family problems and left with family problems. But there was one woman who came with the faith that said, I will get something. And I'm not going to encounter Jesus and go home and leave the same that I came. See that? You know, all this, all this over-the-counter medicines, are, you know, it's, it's some ways it seems to be a great thing. Great in the sense there's most of the common ailments I deal with. There is a, there is temporary relief available. I, I lived, I, some of you don't know this, some few of you might sort of embarrassed to admit it but i lived off of nose nose drops for probably 20 years i was i was using them 6 and 7 times a day i was up to 3 and 4 squirts a nostril not supposed to use them for more than 3 days and so i got surgery a couple years ago and it totally helped change me and I'm I'm now I think almost three years free from my addiction <laughs> but I've I have had more colds the last couple of years than I can ever remember I was on antibiotic in January for one and about two weeks ago, battling again, trouble breathing, head all stopped up. And, and my wife has said something a couple times now. This is, again, the layman's perspective. She said, I, I wonder if you never really experienced colds because of what you did, what you used. So now that you're not using that anymore, you're, you're, you're experiencing what the rest of us normally experience. And I think she's probably right. At least it makes sense to me. I'm telling you what, man, that, that Vicks, I like Vicks because Vicks burned. I mean, you squirt that stuff, it burned. It was like it was eating away at your sinuses. Don't start judging me, all you former drug addicts, <laughs> former alcoholics. Don't get high and mighty on me. <laughs> See, the problem was what was actually providing me relief was also damaging me at the same time. You know what? As Christians, we have an ability to find things to do the same thing. 
They provide us relief, but they're also doing us harm. I got to tell you that I, I know all of you have. You know what? Nobody. Let's just let's just go on record. And for a bunch of you, this is way too late. But listen, folks. Listen, everybody. Listen, listen. If you've ever had surgery, and you come across somebody that's getting the same surgery you had, hear ye, hear ye. They don't want to hear your stories. I don't know what some people are thinking. Oh, you're getting what done? Oh, let me tell you, when I got that done, I near about died. They had to revive me ten times. Thank you. That, that helps me how? So I know you all have your stories worse than mine. I know. I'm... Fortunately or unfortunately, the one with the mic, so you tell yours when you get your, your moment. You know, I got one of the most miserable couple of days in my life was after surgery. And I got stuff packed up in my nose. I thought I couldn't breathe before surgery. Literally, now I can't breathe. It was miserable. Some of you, I... Some of you had that gauze that was like a mile long stuffed up in there. I had some kind of globby stuff that hardened. And that was miserable. That was a miserable process. Those were a miserable couple of days. My mouth was constantly dry, and so they got me some, they got me some lollipops to suck on and keep some moisture. And then I started getting all these mouth sores. But you know what? Once I got through recovery, got several days removed, I had a lasting, permanent change. See, for too many of us, church is just our pharmacy. I came tonight to get my prescription. Dull my pain. Give me some relief. Encourage me. Lift me up. Help me feel better. When it wears off, I'll deal with what I have to deal with. But in the meantime, when God never designed church to be a place to just simply make us feel better, but He did intend our opportunities to come together, worship together, be ministered to, to produce change in our lives. I, oh my goodness. Problem is, the more we're exposed to something, the more familiar it becomes, the less intrigued, the less interested we are the more it takes to impress, to do something. I, I, I've said it several times. I, man, I sat there last weekend, marriage seminar, and then Sunday listening to Brother Hughes, and, and that guy's got some stuff. 
Then I was dumb enough. I was dumb enough to spend a couple days this week finding more stuff of his on the internet, on YouTube. As if I wasn't already intimidated enough, I went listening for more. The problem is, if the holy doesn't remain holy, sacred, meaningful, it doesn't matter how eloquent the words may be. It doesn't matter how deep the thought may be. It's not going to do anything for me. And the flip side is, if I maintain the right attitude and the right spirit, it doesn't matter how elementary or simplistic the thought may be. I am able to reach out and make a connection and receive something and get what I need. And I'm able to leave a different way than I came. And, and I, I, I don't go out with all the same stuff. No, one of the reasons people backslide is they come to church and never change. Or let me say it this way, they come to church but they stop changing. Used it yesterday morning at the men's conference, but 1 John 3 tells us we are now the sons of God. But it doesn't yet appear what we're going to be. Part of what I understand from that verse is until Jesus comes... David Stephen Wright has room to grow. Until Jesus comes or I die, there is room for improvement. I have not arrived yet. I have not reached the pinnacle of my ministry. I have not pre reached the pinnacle of my leadership and my walk with God and my prayer life and all of those things. There is room to develop, but I've got to make up my mind. I will not be satisfied coming and going from the house of God or the presence of God and leaving the same way. But nobody else can determine that for me but me. Nobody else can make that happen but me. And I preach tonight and I hopefully... I hope somehow you can detect burden and not judgment or criticism. But I preach to some people tonight that I am burdened for because you've gotten into a routine of coming in and getting to the mercy seat. But you bypass the altar and you bypass the labor and there's not repentance and there's not washing and you're satisfied to just experience the presence. Leave unchanged. Come in and go out. Come in and go out. And nothing's different. Nothing's changed. And so we get tired of it and it all becomes routine and it all becomes normal and it all starts to get to be the same old, same old. And, 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 and it all boils down a lot of times to the fact it's not anybody else, but it's me. It's my perception. I watch. I'm, I'm out here. I think I'm out here. I'm just going to stay out. I, I watch some of you. And I watch, and really the bottom line is, it doesn't matter who's leading. It really doesn't. It doesn't matter if it's Sister Trish, if it's Mother Wright, if it's, if, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. For some, it just, it doesn't matter. 
You're going to do what you do the way you do it, no matter what. We, we like to mask it behind certain things. We, we, are in a, we are in a world, and especially in a country, we don't take responsibility. We blame everybody else. That's one thing I, I, I was glad to see Brother Hughes go. Because I got tired of everything I was looking at and realizing it's my responsibility. Blame my wife, can't blame my parents, can't blame my kids, can't blame the saints, can't blame the leadership, can't blame my past, can't blame my, can't blame anything else, it's me. I don't want to hear that. Tell me why it's somebody else's fault and tell me why I'm just the victim and tell me why my behavior's okay and tell me why I can just keep doing what I'm doing because of what everybody else has done. Don't tell me I gotta make a choice. I said it, and I, I guess that's maybe maybe some of you are waiting. I, there have been times where I've, I've been in church and other conferences, and what I'm saying, okay, God, come touch me. Touch me, God. Come touch me. Church ends. God never stopped by and touched me. Oh, well. The majority, the majority of miracles that the Lord did, at least from my recollection, the majority of miracles he did, he did not initiate. There are some that he initiated. But the miracles that stand out in my mind, it's, it's a blind man who can't see, but he hears. What, what's going on? It, it's Jesus. Jesus is passing by. and Something inside that blind man decides, you know what? Jesus, the miracle worker. He's opened some blinded eyes. He's unstopped some deaf ears. He's multiplied loaves and fishes. He's walked on water. He's, he's passing by. Maybe he'll see me and stop by and touch me. No. He hears. It's Jesus. The Bible says he cries out, Jesus! Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And those around start to try to quiet him, settle him down. Don't bother him. Shh, shh, don't disturb him. He's, he, he, he's got some place to go. He's got something to do. Be quiet. And the Bible says he begins to cry out the more. Jesus! Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they tried to quiet him, but he cries out even more. Jesus, have mercy on me. You see, when you get desperate enough, when you get desperate enough, you will get what you need. You may not get it before, but when you make up your mind, I need something and I will not leave without it, you will get what you need. Four guys show up with a friend who's, who's on a bed. He's ill. The house is full because there is a crowd that's come to listen. But there's four guys that are desperate. 
in there is what I need. In there is the solution to what our friend needs. And so if we can't get in through the door, we will make a way in. And they climb up on the roof and they begin to tear the roof off. And can you imagine those that were sitting there around Jesus' feet who had come to politely listen just to hear what he had to say as stuff began to fall on their head and they begin to look up. And, and no doubt some of them got a little bit of an attitude. But what are they, what, what's going on here? Somebody is interrupting my comfort. It's a dangerous thing when you start getting bothered at church by those that are interrupting your comfort. But they made up their mind, there's what we need, and we're going to get to what we need. And they got their miracle. Yet somehow we make up our minds, Jesus will come find me and provide what I need. And so if I don't get what I need, there again, not my fault. Somebody else's problem. When in fact, I could have made up my mind and I could have decided I will not come and go the same. I will not, I will not allow me to come and go the same. When's the last time some of you have made up your mind? I will not leave church until I get something. If that means they turn the lights off and they're ready to lock the doors and I got to relocate downstairs to the prayer room, I will not leave until something happens the problem is every time you come and go the same it becomes easier the next time with being satisfied coming and going the same every time you're willing to come to church and sit through and be satisfied with nothing happening for you personally, it becomes that much easier the next service. And then like Saul, I start finding ways to then even justify what I'm doing and find reason to excuse what I'm doing because I have a, I have a very good reason for it and I just come and I go and nothing happens. I know I'm preaching to faithful church members tonight. I know I'm preaching to people that come week after week, service after service. I understand that. But I'm also preaching to some people tonight who have become comfortable with coming and going without anything happening. The same place that a monument was erected to mark some miracles. And the same place where consecration and dedication took place became the same place where a man of God, the king, decides, I'm doing it my way. I'm calling the shots. I'm making the decisions. I'm going to determine what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. 
And there's not a one of us from the one holding the mic all the way to the people up in the booth operating video that are not susceptible to the possibility of letting holy things lose their meaning and their value and start to become empty. And when they start to become empty, we start turning to other things to satisfy and fulfill. And I preach to some people tonight that you can't get enough entertainment. You can't get enough video. You can't play enough video games. You can't get enough entertainment to satisfy because what was once holy and satisfied has become hollow in your life. Bow your heads and close your eyes if you would, please. My flesh would love for there to be much more emotion and hype and all of that. That's my flesh. My spirit understands differently, and so without great pomp and circumstance, without music, without some song to move you, in the silence essentially of this auditorium right now, I wonder if there's anybody that would acknowledge tonight the Spirit of the Lord is talking to you, and you would be willing to make a response. You would be willing to respond. You'd be willing to make up your mind. I will not leave tonight. I will not go out the same. I will not bypass the altar. I will not bypass the laver. I will not leave without a cleansing. I will not be willing to come and to go the same way. But I will make up my mind somehow. I'm going out different than I have come in. Father, help us tonight. It's so easy, God, for what we are familiar with and what becomes the routine and what we are exposed to on a regular basis to become common to us, to lose its significance, to lose its value, to lose its all, to lose its appeal. I pray that You would help us tonight, Father, that You would let there be in those that are hungry and desirous of it a fresh washing and a fresh cleansing, God. A fresh visit by that altar that there would be, that there would be some shedding of some blood and there would be some repentance and there would be an acknowledgement that before I get to the presence, before I experience the beauty and the wonderful things that can happen in the presence, there's some things that need to happen before I get there. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.